0: Brothers and sisters, in the regular course of preaching from the Catechism, you've come to Lord's Day 48. Providentially, this fits very well with Ascension Day and also with the sermon this morning. And so we focus on the second petition. Let's read together Lord's Day 48, a summary of God's Word on this petition. What is the second petition? Your kingdom. Come, that is, so rule us by your word and spirit that more and more we submit to you. Preserve and increase your church. Destroy the works of the devil, every power that raises itself against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. Do all this until the fullness of your kingdom comes wherein you shall be all in all." In response to the preaching from this Lord's Day Let's sing to the Lord from hymn 63, the rhymed version of the Lord's Prayer. We'll sing stanza three. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, as is obvious from Lord's Day 48, the topic for this afternoon is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Now, no sooner do we say that and we immediately run into a problem. The problem is this. For us, a kingdom is not necessarily something that we are familiar with in the reality of daily life. Sure, we understand the basics where you have a kingdom, you have a king, and what the king rules over is the kingdom. But you see, here's the problem. In the politics of our day, we're not used to kings, queens, monarchies in the reality of daily life. There are still kings, there are still queens, Canada or a country still has a queen, Queen Elizabeth. And from time to time, it doesn't happen very often, but from time to time, there's also a new king or a new queen that gets a lot of attention. As recently happened in the Netherlands, a new king was crowned. King Willem Alexander. Now that's an interesting thing to watch. There's a certain ceremony, there's a certain amount of of pomp that goes with it all. Maybe you even watched some of it. But then it passes. And life goes on and what difference does it really make, concretely, for us, whether this person or that person is king or queen. You see, it's mostly a matter of tradition and history and ceremony because we live in democracies and that's also the way we think about authority. Canada has a queen, but we all know that when it comes to daily living, it's the prime minister and his cabinet, and the premier, and the cabinet, and the local governing authorities that really make the decisions that impact your taxes, impact your daily life. And there is a very fundamental difference between a monarchy, a kingdom, and what we're all used to, a democracy. And the basic difference is this, with a democracy, in the end, the people who have the final say are the people. Sure, the prime minister may be in office for three, four years, but we all know in the back of our minds that if we don't like that prime minister, we collectively as the people, we can vote him out. And have someone new in. He may have authority, but the final word rests with the people. But you see, in a kingdom, that is fundamentally different. The final word resides not with the people, but with the king. And whatever political system we may have now, when we come to the second petition... We are praying to our Father in heaven, your kingdom come. We're not praying your democracy come. And that's why also when we pray this petition, brothers and sisters, we have to set aside some of the normal ways that we think about kingdoms, democracies, and focus very clearly on what God's Word says about this kingdom, our Father's kingdom. And so I bring you God's word as follows. The king, the ascended Lord Jesus Christ, teaches us to pray for the fullness of his kingdom. We're going to look at three things. First of all, the training of the army. Secondly, that army has to go out onto the battlefield. And then finally, that army, under the Lord's blessing and direction, has to go on forward to the victory. You know when people speak about the church, we have a pretty clear idea in our mind what the church is. And even if we have a little bit of a difficult time expressing it in words, we know where we can go. Belgic Confession, for instance, Article 27, what's the church? There it is. We believe and profess one Catholic or universal church Here's the definition, which is a holy congregation and assembly of true Christian believers who expect their entire salvation in Jesus Christ and so on. That's church. The gathering, the assembly, the congregation of Christian believers. Now, what's the kingdom? And inevitably, and you could listen for this too, brothers and sisters, inevitably, when we start speaking about the kingdom, people's description, the definition that they have in their minds starts to become more fuzzy. What's the kingdom? Where is the kingdom? Well, obviously people will say it's, it's spiritual, and they'll probably mention it's, it's kind of related to the church, but it's not exactly the same as the church. And often in their minds, people will think that the church is one thing, it's a little bit more clearly defined, more well organized, and the kingdom it's, 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 it's broader. And under the category of kingdom work, this person will put that and that person will put the next thing and all kinds of different things, associations, efforts, initiative, all go under the big umbrella, kingdom work. But if you ask people to really clearly nail it down and define it, what now is the kingdom of God, often it's a hard answer to get. But therein is a little bit of a problem, because every time we're praying the Lord's Prayer, we pray, your kingdom come. But if we don't clearly know what the kingdom is, what exactly are we praying for then? And so let's go to the king of the kingdom and listen to him explain what his kingdom really is, surely if anyone can point us in the right direction and make it very sharp and clear, what now is the kingdom of God? Jesus Christ, our King, will be able to do that. And so we turn to Luke chapter 17. There, the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking about his kingdom, has surprising words For the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees came to him, Luke 17, verse 20, and they had a question. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here. See there? For indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Isn't this what so often happens? When you ask people, where is the kingdom of God? They will point here and say, see here? Here's, this is good kingdom work happening over here. Or they'll point to some other initiative or effort, and they'll say, now that, that's good kingdom work. But where does the king point? Not here, not there, in, here, within you. And the catechism picks up on this teaching of the king, and that's why of all the various things which are listed, and there are a number of them, but the catechism doesn't start here or there, but it starts inside here in our hearts. That is, so rule us by your word and spirit that more and more we submit to you. This morning, that whole matter of submission was mentioned, also in connection with all the different areas of life. But something more needs to be said. That submission. That's tough, eh? Really. Honestly. That doesn't come naturally to us. Already, from a very young age. Soon enough, brother and sister Boltina will experience what they already know, parents of now two children, but which parents already know as well, and that is, teaching a child to submit is a long-term project. Picture it. There sits a the little boy, a little girl in mother's lap, starting to look already from a young age at those beautiful picture books, maybe an alphabet book. All those letters with all of those interesting pictures. The wide eyes are looking at them but then the hands go and for some reason that child wants to rip the page. Almost every child does it. And mom will say, ah, Johnny, don't rip the page. Johnny stops for a few seconds. And then he goes to rip it further. And mom says, ah, Johnny, don't rip the page. Maybe Johnny stops, but he doesn't want to. Or maybe he does it yet once more and rips the page a little further. The instruction is perfectly clear. It's simple, it's straightforward, the child knows. Mom does not want him to rip the page. And yet, it's so tough to stop, let go, and refrain from ripping. And if we think this is just something of one-year-olds, what about all of us, brothers and sisters, as we grow up? The commandment of God much like the command of that mother, is perfectly clear. The problem is not in the understanding. Just as do not rip the page is clear, so is do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness. All the commandments. It's not that we don't get it, and yet, what do we do as children, teenagers, young adults, adults who even have many years of experience? We're still ripping the page. Every Sunday, our Father in Heaven says, do this, don't do that. And already on Sunday, if not on Monday, we're ripping it yet another centimeter. Submission. It is just So very hard. It goes against something that's deep, deep in us. Otherwise, brothers and sisters, after a few years, you would think that we would stop ripping the spiritual pages. But you may be 45, you may be 75, and you're still struggling with this. And this is the very first thing that we pray about in the second petition. We're down on our knees, we folded our hands, and we say, Father, help me with this persistent problem. So rule me inside of me with your word and your spirit, baptism form, who promises to dwell within us, right in that place where we have the ripping the pages syndrome, the Holy Spirit's gone to dwell and go to work. And we pray, continue that work, because I may be 35, but I'm still ripping those spiritual pages. And this prayer is all the more critical because we're part of God's army. The reading from Ephesians chapter 6 made that perfectly clear. The book of Ephesians is all about the church. That's the theme throughout this letter, at least one of the main themes. And when he comes to the end, and last words are always important words, finally, finally, my brethren, don't think that life here on this earth, don't think that life here in the church is just a walk through the rose garden. It's a slog through the battlefield. And so get ready. Put on your armor. And we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're not not struggling and fighting against fellow members of the church. This is what we're battling against the principalities, the powers, the rulers of the darkness, the wicked one, as he's mentioned here a couple of times in this passage, which basically means Satan and his demons. They're the enemy. They haven't put up the white flag. They haven't stopped fighting. And so you and I have to be fighting the spiritual battle every week again. And we start that in prayer. We start by praying, as soldiers in the army of Jesus Christ, Father, help us. As soldiers in that army, help us as soldiers on the battlefield to submit to you, our king, our commander-in-chief. Because if we don't do that, anarchy reigns and the battle is going to be a disaster. Can you imagine, brothers and sisters, with any army... Take the Canadian Army. Now we've come off the battlefields for the most part in Afghanistan, but it wasn't too long ago. And our army was in harm's way in the fields of Afghanistan. What kind of a disaster would it have been if every individual soldier, if every little group or unit of soldiers was off doing their own thing. Commander, who cares what the commander says? We know how to run this battle, we'll do it our way. And so one unit goes off and does that. And then even within that unit, one soldier thinks, ah, all these commanders and lieutenants, they don't know how to fight a battle. I know, I'll do it my way. And imagine that the whole army would have gone into Afghanistan that way. There's one word for that. Disaster. Defeat. When you're really on a real battlefield, and you're really part of an army, you really have to submit. There's the only way to fight. And brothers and sisters, there's no avoiding that battlefield. You know, the Lord's Prayer starts, you could say, in the family room. Our Father, we pray as God's adopted children there in the family room of our spiritual life. And for the first petition, we stay, as it were, in the family room. Help us, O Lord, to honor your name. But come second petition, we realize that we don't get to stay close to hearth and home in the family room for our whole life. In fact, Every day is another day on the battlefield. Satan is making sure of that. And you can't dodge the draft. Some people did that for the Second World War or other battles. No Christian gets to dodge the draft. You're a Christian, brothers and sisters, you're on the battlefield. No question. And we can't, for the honor of our King, the Lord Jesus Christ, we can't wave the white flag of surrender too and say, I give up Satan, you win. No. We are under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. We wave no white flags in the direction of Satan and his dark forces of evil but if we can't dodge the draft and if we can't wave the white flag of surrender that leaves one thing you gotta fight and you have to put on the full armor of God and we all as army have to submit to him the king the king is the chief commanding officer. And recognizing that, we pray, help us, O Lord, to submit. It's a most necessary request. Also, because that is ultimately the only way that the church, and notice how closely the church and the kingdom are connected here, that's only the only way in which The church is going to be preserved and increased. You see, the church is not just preserved on some type of autopilot. Keeps going on autopilot from generation to generation. No. The only way for it to be preserved is through the first part. Submitting more and more to the Word through the Spirit. And the increase of the church. Sure, you can do all kinds of things. You can can get people into a church building. But brothers and sisters, you really have not seen increase of the church unless everyone, whether they are for many years or newcomers, are submitting to the king on the basis of his word through the spirit. And that's why both praying and living it out, that's our focus. Why is it, you wonder, that we put so much emphasis on the Bible, the Word of God in church? Why do we put that emphasis also in our homes? Why do we start schools and put them on the basis? The Word of God, praying for the working of His Holy Spirit, precisely because we are part of a church which is an army on the battlefield of life against Satan and all his forces. And unless we're close to the word, which is the communication from the king, there's no way forward. There's no hope for us. And so, brothers and sisters, we pray knowing that we are up against a fierce and angry but also a very tricky, wily enemy. We read that also in Ephesians chapter 6, that you may be able to stand, verse 11, against the wiles, the deceitful schemes, the trickery of the devil. That you may be able to withstand him, verse 13, and having done all to stand. You see... Those are the two key things that Satan has in his power. He's tricky, he's wily, deceitful, and he's tenaciously powerful. He doesn't want to give up no matter what. And when you put the trickery together with the tenacity, when you put the lying ability together with his sure power and determination. This is a fearsome foe, brothers and sisters. This is no pushover. This is a real battle. And so we're praying here in the second petition as well, destroy, O Lord, destroy the works of the devil. This is not something that we hop over. We need divine help in order to destroy the works of the devil, because there are more than one powers that are raised up ultimately against Christ, but if against Christ, then against us as his church as well. What are some of those powers? It says every power, that means there's more than one, but what are they? Well, here's a few examples. What about the power of greed? It can be subtle. It can be tricky. But at the same time, it can be so tenaciously effective. You see, because we all need to work with mammon. We all have bills to pay. We all have to take in income. But it's so easy for Satan to do his things, put in his subtle temptations, and make us, instead of good stewards, make us greedy citizens. And greed is something that just grows, and and it eats away at your spiritual well-being. Because a little greed leads to a lot more greed. But you see the way Satan does it? If he can get us on to greed, if he can switch our allegiance from the Lord to mammon, from Messiah to money, then our minds become so focused on that money that we hardly have the mental space to really listen to the word, to the communication from our chief commanding officer. And once Satan breaks down the communication between commander and army, guess which way the battle goes. There's another power. It's the power of leisure. Again, very wily, very tricky. Each of us only has so much energy and then you run out you need a little time to relax it's a good day there's a day. good thing there's a day of rest every week but you see even though there's nothing wrong with rest in fact it's a necessary thing and a vacation here a vacation there it's not wrong but when satan through his little tricky ways manages to make that leisure Not just something that we enjoy, but something that becomes almost like the center of our life. And things revolve around our leisure time. Then, Satan's got his foot in the door because when life revolves around leisure, probably we forget. We're on a battlefield, brothers and sisters. Some rest is necessary, but... How much rest when you're in the middle of a war? Yeah, peace all around us. No, brothers and sisters, war around us. That's the reality of Ephesians 6. Or the power of hypocrisy. Perhaps this is one of the more subtle and tenacious ones. You see... Satan loves traitors, turncoats. They're very effective for his purposes. When there is a battle between two armies, the one army loves to have a few traitors, turncoats, spies on the other side. Oh, on the outside, they look like they're for this side. But really, on the inside, they're working for this side. Great weapon. Very effective. And Satan knows that. He's been at this battle for centuries, for millennia. And so he does his tricky little temptations to pull us all in the direction of hypocrisy. Satan says, sure, keep your Sunday suit, keep your Sunday dress. Sure, go to worship, sing your psalms, sing your praise. Just on the inside, don't mean it. Because then Satan has some traitors. He has some turncoats that he can use and manipulate for his purposes. And hypocrisy is a present danger for every one of us. Now, do you see, brothers and sisters, why we need the second petition? This is not some kind of vague here or there prayer. This hits us right where we are every week. Oh Lord God, Father in heaven, so work in me by your power and your spirit, so work in your entire church that we don't let the power of greed or the power of hypocrisy or any other kind of power knock us off the path of submission and obedience to our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes on a battlefield, people get scared. You can understand that. Sometimes we, as God's people, here on the spiritual battlefield of Ephesians 6, we get a little scared too rather than stand we feel like turning heel and running who can go up against satan who who's strong enough to stand against all those demons you me well that's why we keep praying the second petition And do all of this until the fullness of your kingdom comes, wherein you shall be all in all. Please note, until. Not do all this so that hopefully when all the dust settles and when all the smoke of this spiritual battle finally clears, that hopefully we're going to be on the winning side. There's no if here, brothers and sisters. There's no hopefully. There's an until. That means we're not there yet. There's going to be some time. We have to be patient. We have to keep fighting. But the outcome is certain. The fullness of God's kingdom is coming. How can we be so confident when we have such a fearsome foe? Is this bravado? Is this unrealistic optimism? No. Not at all. We pray this petition also in the name of Jesus Christ. For Jesus' sake. Amen, we pray. And that's where the confidence comes because brothers and sisters when Jesus Christ went toe to toe with the devil and Satan came after him after 40 days, 40 nights no food in the wilderness, fatigued and tired what happened? Our Lord, our King took word Sword of the Spirit in hand. And Satan came at him, attack number one, back with the Word. Attack number two, back with the Word of God. Attack number three, one more with the sword of the Spirit. And Scripture says, Satan left him. He lost. They didn't give up. Satan came at him through all his suffering. Satan came at him, especially on the cross. And Satan thought, now I've got him. He's dying. I'll come out on top. But you see, Jesus Christ came out of the grave on the other side three days later. And that was the proof that even when Satan thought he might be winning, in fact, he was losing. And now, our king is ascended in victory. And so, he goes on to the fullness of the kingdom. And if you need one more thing, to convince you that though the battle will be fierce, the victory is rock solid. It's this Who's Christ? You know it. He's both man and God. Who's Satan? He's an angel, fallen angel. An angel is a creature. When a creature, doesn't matter how wily, how tenacious, how powerful, when any creature tries to go up against him who is God, only one outcome. God wins, Satan loses. And that's why, even though the battle will go on, we keep praying, because there's one word at which Satan falls, and that word is Christ. Amen.